Welcome to the latest word from the church at Severn Run. Our church is located in Severn, Maryland, and is easily accessible from anywhere in the D.C. Baltimore area. You can subscribe for regular updates or check in weekly for the latest information by using our website, severinrun.com. Thank you for visiting. And now, today's message. In the beginning was the Word. And before anything was, God existed. And the scripture says, the earth was formless and void. There was nothing. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The light that there was um, is an, an illustration of the glory and the goodness and the creativity and the imagination of God. The light was not simply a white flash, plain. The light was glorious and infinite. That picture that you see behind, that is not some work of art that some human being came up with. That is Westerland too. It is just a cluster of about 3,000 stars, um, approximately 20 to 30,000 light years away in a constellation uh, named Carina. And it is a part of the endlessness of God and the beauty of God. And the God who said, let there be light, expressed himself so beyond what we could ever imagine. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. Only God creates something from nothing. Only God speaks and reality is. And the God who separated light from darkness set us up in light, but we chose our own will and we chose to reject life in relationship with him. We walked away from connection with God into the darkness of our own imagination, our own understanding, and most deceptively into our own will, where we think that we know what will make us happy. And so we do what we think will make us happy, and it doesn't. It only makes us more empty and more broken. And when we allowed darkness to come back into the world, the universe had a shockwave go through it. And, and darkness plunged into not only the world, but into the heart of men and women and boys and girls. But from the moment that the God who spoke light into being saw us choose to live in darkness and invite darkness back into our world, our God had a plan. And it was to bring light to life again. To answer despair with hope. To answer empty with whole. God's plan was Jesus. And he is the son of God, the hope of the world. This Christmas, I want us to take uh, a little bit of a step back and a step up and to take a look at the meaning of Christmas in a way that is very broad and very big and in a way that is going to give you the assignment in life to apply it from here on in. 
The God who spoke life into light has done it in Jesus. And in John 8, 12, the scripture says, when God spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the birth of hope, the light of life. Hope is everything in life. It is oxygen for the soul. And we all have one of three relationships with hope in the world. The, the one that really is perhaps um, most easily identified is to have no hope. And it is a condition that expresses itself in a variety of ways. It is uh, everything from, you know, depression and and just that feeling that I cannot get out of bed in the morning. Um, and it's expressed in some ways, in obvious, overt ways that, that cripple life. But it's also expressed uh, perhaps more insidiously in the heart of people who go through life really not alive at all. And, and in their lives, there is no real hope. There is no real animation. There is no real imagination. There, there, is, there is nothing truly of the image of God set free in them. And we are truly dead men walking. The second relationship to hope is a little bit harder to identify because it's those with false hope. 
when you have no hope, you know, it's a spectrum, but generally speaking, you, you kind of feel the pain of that dark. But to have false hope means you're trying to create light on your own, and, and it is uh, trying to create a light that, that does not last, and ironically, a light that does not illuminate anything. To have no hope leaves us dying slowly in the dark. To have false hope is death delayed by deception. That we put our hope in someone, something. We put our hope in some uh, imagination of ours and we run towards it only to find out too late that we ran off a cliff. And then... There is the meaning of Christmas. Not tinsel and lights, not snowflakes and, um, you know, idyllic mangers, but real Christmas. Gritty, dusty, painful, and real. And that is real hope. And have real hope is what Christmas is all about. Having real hope ignites life. I mean, it does. Life cannot go dead. Um, life will be hard. It will never be the yellow brick road. But to have real hope is the art of starting again. To have real hope is to become ever more alive, to never stop growing, never stop increasing, never stop learning, never stop pushing, never stop being led, never stop being inspired, to never stop living. And this is the hope of Christmas. False hope is what most of us spend most of our lives in and, and no hope. But real hope has one single source and it is the person of God himself. The scripture says in 2 Samuel twenty two twenty nine, You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness into light. And so, unlike modern consumeristic Christianity, which uses God to get, which absolutely, you know, says, God, I'll have a relationship with you if, and then tries to barter and deal with God for the life that it wants, a real hope is not in circumstance, it is in God alone, has a single source. And when hope comes alive in the God who created light and is light, then everything changes. And so this Christmas, um, I want us to move beyond tinsel and beyond um, even, you know, perfect family experiences, you know, Martha Stewart and otherwise. This Christmas, uh, I want us to, to understand that, that when we say light, we may think light bulb, but when God says light, he's thinking of the Carina constellation and a trillion others that are each unique and amazing and astonishing and endless. So this Christmas, I want us to step back a bit, and this is going to be one of the simplest messages you're ever going to hear, but I also believe it's one of the most important and life-changing messages that, that you and I can, can ever hear. So I want you to hear the Jesus story. 
This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after, she, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is through the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So, so here's where things can become real or things can become plastic. Here's where reality can be conquered or here's where darkness sets in and just stays and lasts in life. The point is to understand in a way that is three-dimensional. The point is to understand in a way that is not churchy. The point is to understand in the way that when we're talking about God, we're not talking about um, what is comprehended and, and completely you know, bound by our, our own understanding. The simple truth is, whether or not you acknowledge that God created the heavens and the earth by a word, or whether you believe that that we are, you know, created in a big bang. Let me just quick rant here. If you are a believer and you're going to talk science with scientists, make sure you know what you're talking about. Do your homework. Because nothing, you know, it's just so silly to hear Christians talking about stuff they don't know anything about, you know? It's okay to say you just believe. It really, really, really is. And if you're a scientist, it's you then should share from your knowledge. But here's the deal. We're all uh, stuck in mystery. You know, nobody's going to resolve this mystery. So you choose your mystery. You choose the mystery of a universe that leaves us alone and indifferent. You choose a universe that, that starts with a big bang. Where did the stuff come from to bang together? Why is it there and why is there anything? Or you choose the Jesus story. To me, it is the one narrative that makes sense of life. It is the one narrative <laughs> that, that puts together uh, the most realistic answer. Uh, this Bible is, is full of characters that I would have never let in my Bible if I were writing it as a human book. People getting drunk, doing stupid things, you know, those characters would have never made it in. And oh, by the way, my hero uh, at the critical hour when he's on the cross, he wouldn't be crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My hero would be up there saying something plastic and unreal. But the God of the Bible, he's the God who created the world in a way that, that reveals his glory and his love. And he's the one who, who began Christmas 2,000 years ago. So that light would again once, once again conquer darkness. So, so that light could again separate the darkness out of our hearts and our lives and our churches and our schools and our homes in our country. I want to share with you that what God did in Genesis chapter 1, he's seeking to do again, and that is to remove the darkness and to allow light to reign. And so the Jesus story has to become real to us. It, it, it can't be one-dimensional. It can't be plastic. It can't be flat. It has to come alive, and, and we have to, to gain some perspective. 
you know, once a year or so, I just have to get to the mountains. I, I just have to get to the peak of something and to stand there and to look out horizon to horizon. I have to, to stand on the Continental Divide or, or some mesa or something so that I can see the sky and, and look up and, and look from, from east to west and north to south and, and just to see how big God is and how great His world is. I have to look at a mountain and, and see how God has, has worked to create it and, and to see on the edge of the Grand Canyon how God has used time to, to make something so beautiful and so amazing. And there again to believe that a God who can use wind and water to, to shape his creation can use time and trial to shape me as his creation and to build my life. And just to get the big picture that there really is a God who loves, that Jesus is his son, that the world is broken, but that God has given us an answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ. And because Jesus was born into the world, we're not talking about a nice, tame, religious baby that we can put in some alcove um, in an irrelevant section of our churchy life. Jesus is the centerpiece of, of, of the, the, the work of God. The God who barad and created in the beginning has created again in Christ. The God who separated light from darkness in the beginning has come again to overcome our sin and rebellion and create light and separate light from darkness in the hearts of all who are willing to understand love. And so today what I want you to say from a 30,000 feet kind of way, from a horizon to horizon kind of way, in a way that I know that you understand it but you don't understand it, in a way that you know, you know light but, but you have no no concept, we have no concept of the beauty of what light really looks like in our galaxy. I want you to know that understanding Christmas means seeing hope in your world. That's what it means to understand Christmas. And if you don't see hope in your world, you don't understand Christmas. You don't understand the work of Jesus. You don't understand the glory of what God has done to relight his world to ignite dead hearts, to, to raise dead people to life again, to allow us to come alive, not in a way that saves us from the journey, but that walks with us on it every step. Can I remind you that Jesus sweat, and that he bled, and that he cried, and that you and I are probably going to have to do the same thing on our way into eternity, but it's going to be okay, because there's hope in the world. And when we understand Christmas, we come alive in hope. We don't live in the dark any longer. We don't live with no hope. We may struggle through it. Some of you are more prone to depression than others. Some of you, you know, you, you have no mercy or compassion with those who are on, you know, suffer from depression because you don't. You know, it's just not in your DNA. And, and so you think, we all think everybody's just like us. You know that, right? Or should be. We all think we're the center of everything, even politically. Right now, you think you're the center of all politics and everybody's to the left or the right of you. Well, it's not right politically, it's not right theologically, it's not right otherwise. Just because you don't suffer with depression doesn't mean that, that other people aren't prone to. The point is whether you suffer from it or not. Christ will make you alive in hope. And if you don't suffer from depression, then you suffer from something else, and Christ will make you alive in that as well. Charles Spurgeon said, 
He said, we are too prone to write our trials in granite and our blessings in sand. And understanding Christmas means that God has completely reversed that. And now our blessing has been written in granite. It has been written and engraved in actually the palms of Christ's hands. And our trials and blessings, they'll be blown away. They will be scattered. They, they will last no longer than, than words written on the beach as the tide comes in. All of our trials are very, very temporary. And the effect of Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Everything, you know, again, Jesus is always going out to run into broken people. He's, he's never making life about himself. He's always going out on the road to encounter people who are far from God. And everything in Scripture ties together just as everything in life ties together in ways that are more intricate than, than you and I imagine. And Jesus went to the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, verse 14 says, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness. They've seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That is Christmas. A light has dawned in a world that was made dark and void again by our own rebellion and our own independence from the will of God. A light has dawned. And here's the difference. Some people will live their whole life blind to that dawn. Some people will live their whole life stumbling around in the dark. Some people will live their whole life without any hope at all. Others with this false hope and that false hope, trying to, to create something on planet earth that is a substitute for heaven, and, and they will spend their whole life never seeing the dawn, but others. But others will look around, and in their tears, and in their pain, and in their hurt, and in their loneliness, and in their abandonment, they will open their eyes, and they will see this glimmer of hope in a universe that is Christ. And they'll see the light of Christ and, and they will begin to believe. And as they believe, the light will dawn and there will be an increase in their life. And life will still be hard. You know what? I believe in Jesus and I'm going to die. I hope it doesn't hurt much. I would prefer to go quietly in the night. But if not, then a motorcycle off a cliff would be great too, you know? However it's going to be, I don't like it already. But it doesn't matter. Because the Jesus who sweat, who lived, who loved, who bled, he's conquered death. And he is the light of life. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. No one who puts their hope in me, no one who puts their hope in me will ever walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. That's the Jesus effect. That's the effect of Christmas. And so Jesus says that, that uh, in the land of the shadow of death, that's where you live. 
right now. Many of you, right now, right, right here, you feel the shadow of death in your life. You feel the hopelessness. You feel the aloneness. You feel the fear. And whether it makes you angry or depressed, if you'll just turn and face it, you know that the place we live in is badly broken. And so the Christmas story of a Savior just makes sense. And so Jesus, in light of this, says from that time on, the scripture says, Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You are not far from from new life. You are not far from, from new hope. You are not far from change and love. It's nearer than you know. You just have to repent. Repent is a great word that we need to redeem to, to understand. And repent simply means to allow God to give us a new perspective, to think differently on a thing. It means to have a, a new interpretation of, of life to experience a willing change of heart. Guys, with all my heart, I'm telling you, there is hope this Christmas. Why is there hope? Because Jesus' birth actually saves believing people from dying in the dark. This isn't, this isn't churchy rhetoric. This isn't, uh, you know, removed from real life. This is as, as real world and, and gritty as it gets. 1 Peter 1.3 says, In His great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that phrase, a living hope. Why is there hope? Because things are going to get better. They just are. I'm not asking for a show of hands here, but how many of y'all live waiting for the other shoe to drop? You know what I mean? You know, like when's the next bad thing going to happen? No. No to hell. Yes to heaven. Because things are going to get better. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. And what that means is that when you believe and that the God who spoke light into the universe speaks light into your life through Christ, that, that you grow and that you overcome and that you never quit and you never surrender. You never give up. You never stop trusting and turning and believing and repenting and allowing God to separate the the darkness in your life away from his light. There's hope because heaven is real and and the truth is we're already there in heart. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. When I stand on the mountaintop, when I, when I get out in God's creation, uh, this last year I stood among the, the, the giant sequoias and it was awesome. And to be reminded about how big God is and how good God is and, 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 and how, how eternal God is and, and how God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Please do not think heaven is going to be something strange. Little, you know, uh, chubby babies with fat wings, you know, from the Renaissance and... And that we're flying around on clouds, you know, bored, you know. Some of you are going, I don't want to worship God all day, you know. (laughs) Let me just tell you, this place is going to seem like the first TV invented in the 40s that was this big and grainy and black and white and scratchy sound and and it's not even going to be like going to 4K or or high def or 8K. It's going to be... 
It's going to be astonishing. Heaven is coming. Don't quit. Don't give up. Story of H.R. Darby, uh, his uncle uh, found um, some land in Colorado at the beginning of the Colorado Gold Rush, and, and he, um, uh, you know, basically brought in his nephew, and they, they sold everything they had and went to the bank and borrowed everything they could to buy equipment to work this mine. And it produced a, a lot of gold for, for a while, but then the vein ran out, and they quit because they were going bankrupt. And they, they searched around, and they found a junk man uh, to sell all this expensive machinery for scrap iron. But the junk man was a wise man, and he hired an engineer to take one more look at the mine. Darby quit three feet from gold. Three feet from the largest gold mine, supposedly, in Colorado. The thing I love about that story is not just that part, but I love what Darby did next, is he learned a lesson. And after he'd already gone over, he can't get the mine back, the equipment is sold, it's not his anymore. Darby becomes an insurance salesman, but he's not just any insurance salesman. He rocks the insurance world and, and he becomes like a millionaire because he decides never again to quit three feet from gold. Guys, there is real hope if we don't place it in a false place. There is hope because we are not alone in a dark and indifferent universe. We are deeply loved. Isaiah 41, 13 says, for I am the Lord. I, I, love, I love that. The I am, anytime you hear I am, think of the personal name of God. God's, God's revealed his, his first name to you, Yahweh. He says, for I am Yahweh, but I am your Lord. I am not far off and distant. You're not alone, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a universe without cause or meaning. But I am your God who takes hold of your right hand. I love this image. I had a dad and I never had a dad. I had a, a man in a house who was my father, but he was never a father. And I have on a thousand occasions been driven to the scripture and heard the call of my heavenly father saying, hey, Drew, give me your right hand. And I have a picture of me. It's kind of embarrassing, but here I am, an adult, reaching my hand up to my daddy, and we're just going to walk through whatever feels dark and is the land of the shadow of death. And, and in love, let my, my, my dad take me through it. I'm the God who takes care of you and who holds your right hand and says, do not fear, I will help you. There's hope because there's help. <laughs> and God will help. There's hope because God is hope. That's the bottom line. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope, do you, do you hear that? Not the God of hate, not the God of, of criticism, not the God of, of, of confrontation. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. That's the repentance piece. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, not your own will, not just positive thinking, but by a divine power that began the universe, sustains the universe, and, and will recreate the universe. That same divine power comes to live inside of you, energizing your life. We become ever more alive in hope 
We, we are not dying down. We're not uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop. We are overflowing with hope and are people of impact, people of effect in the world. And guys, I want to say to you that possibly our biggest sin in the world is, is possibly is hopelessness. When we think of, about sin, when I think about the biggest sins in the world, usually we start thinking sexual, you know? And, and guys, that's typically the first place we go, you know? And, and typically we don't think women, you know, are, but since guys are, are thinking sexual, there has to be somebody that, that guys are, you know, sinning with. So I guess women, you're in this thing too. But the reality is, is, is you know, we think of these, these big obvious sins, maybe theft or maybe, you know, um, I don't know, some kind of abuse. And as horrible as all those, those things are, I just want to suggest to you that they're not the biggest sins, at least among us. The biggest sin that you and I are guilty of that is draining our life, that is, that is, that is killing us in the land of the shadow of death, is hopelessness. And the church of the living God is the hope of the world, but it has failed its call and it is not alive in hope. America is spiritually declining. We, we have maybe 12% of people who are worshiping on a Sunday morning, whereas in 1962, we had some 62% of people who are we, are, we are becoming more and more without a base and anchor. But it is not the government's fault. It is our fault. It is the church. It is we who believe, who are living without any real Christmas hope that is to blame for where our country is. Now, now that, that may be true, but here's the deal. What that means is that we can change everything. Because understanding Christmas means seeing hope in our world, means seeing hope alive in the world, means seeing the possibilities of Jesus at work. It means seeing the, the possibility of God creating new life and, and winning people and, and rebuilding, redeeming his world. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, Do not be afraid or discouraged. And I'm telling you, you can look at a church and see when it's hopeless. There's, there's no joy, there's no power. There's no inspiration for people to invite other people because they're embarrassed by the message. You know, we don't, want, we don't want our friends to really know what we're about or what we believe. No, no, no. A church that's alive in hope stands lovingly strong on the gospel of Jesus and is proud of it. A church without hope never does anything in the world. It just meets, which is nothing because when you meet Jesus, you are changed, and you go away changed. When you meet Jesus, you are loved, and you go away to give love. When you meet Jesus, the darkness is separated out of your life, and light floods in, and everywhere you go, you bring light, starting with your families, then your workplace, your school. If the church would rise up and be the church of the living God, then we can and will change America back. We'll change Baltimore City. We'll change Washington, D.C. We'll change Anne Arundel County if we will only believe that the God who said, let there be light, has in Christmas spoken a light that is the light of life. Do not be afraid or discouraged. The Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And when you and I start living in that hope with that kind of confidence, we're going to attempt amazing, extraordinary things for God that, that will be 
that will be epic. But we need to repent. We need to repent today. Right now, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Repent again means to allow God to give us a new perspective. It means to live a new narrative. It means to live with a new interpretation of life. It means to to see life from the possibilities of God's power instead of our helplessness. And we need to repent of the sin of hopelessness, of living small, of wasting our lives, of giving up, of living negative, of embracing anger. We need to repent of surrendering to fear and begin to rise up in fearless light. We need to repent of ignoring God's purpose and of refusing to give our lives away on mission for Jesus. Because guys, the truth is, when you understand Christmas, really, when you see Christmas for what it is, then you take the light of Jesus' hope into the darkness of a broken world and you change it. You just do. I pray that today that that hope may rise up in your heart and you may have have felt hopeless about your own life. No more, no longer. God has said, let there be light and his name is Jesus and he is here and near and all you have to do is believe and receive him. So I'm gonna ask you to do something today that uh, I'm gonna ask you to flood this, this altar with your repentance and your surrender to allow your life to become alive in hope in a way that it never has been before. Not, not instant, not easy. Uh, there will be blood, there will be sweat, uh, there, there will be struggle, but there will also be glory and there will also be Jesus all over it. Well, Pastor Drew, why do I need to, why can't I just stay where I am? Well, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you're gonna keep getting what you've been getting. And, and if you're good, if you're living alive in the light and you're prepared to meet Jesus like that now, then, then stay, it's okay, seriously. And, and if you're here today and, and you're just, you're not at that place of faith, we want to honor that. But if you're here and you want Christmas to truly mean what God wants it to mean, you want to, to allow your life to be all that God created it to be in his love, then, then you and I need to come and repent of, of, of living outside of his light and to invite to invite hope to make you alive again. So Father, in Jesus' name, this is our prayer that that we we would just look to your light and run to it and God, that you would change our heart, understanding that in Christmas you have changed everything in the universe. God, hear our prayers in these moments. Draw us out of the dark, separate it from our lives and bring us into the joy of your light forever. And I pray this in Jesus' name as all God's people say, amen. Amen. Let's come. Let's respond as God would have us to. Thank you for joining us today at the church at Severn Run. Please visit our website at severnrun.com for church service information, staff directories, or for prayer requests. And if you're in the D.C. Baltimore area, we'd love to have you join us at 8187 Telegraph Road in Severn, Maryland. We look forward to worshiping with you.